It's time for episode 316 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 17th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that takes a licking and keeps on ticking, even though it's probably taken a licking before in the sense that this has probably been an intro before. But I love it, and I'm using it, by golly, and I'm proud of it. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the vast and ever-changing internet by my co-host, Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm still ticking, Micah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's what I can say. To my left is my co-host on Smart Tech Today on the twit.tv network, as well as everyone's favorite shortcuts guru, as well as man about the internet. It is Matthew Casanelli. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Micah. I feel like I haven't heard from you in so long. Yeah, how long has it been? It's like every two days now we get a chat. (laughs) Uh, And to my left... Another returning clockwise guest, the editor at IT Pro Today, the podcaster at The Incomparable, the writer at So What? Who Cares? It's Lisa Schmeiser. Welcome back, Lisa. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you for having me. We are so glad to have you. My question is this. How often do you consider the personal privacy and ethical ramifications of the technology you use and or consume? And has this actually changed for you over time? Or you once maybe didn't, but now you do, or vice versa? I do think this is something that I've always definitely taken into consideration, but it has come into light a little bit more recently than normal because of all of the contractors listening to your Siri requests type of thing. And I sort of, I think I remember like positing on Twitter that I just didn't even realize some of the information that they were sharing and had told us they were sharing. And it sounded like I read about it in a news report instead of the privacy policy, which wasn't great for me because I was like, oh, maybe I should have known about that. But I do think in general, I do consider this a lot when I'm buying stuff more than I actually consciously realize because I do tend to prefer to to pay for something rather than get it for free and end up paying for it in other ways in the long run. Um, I always remember the term externalities from my business class where it's not a direct problem that comes from something that you're doing, but the long-term effects like throughout society. And I think a lot of that has been catching up to us a little bit more. So maybe it is time to double check on everything there. But it's also extremely hard to make those decisions on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, especially the ethical ramifications of like the whole supply chain and everything. I think a lot of us don't think about that enough. Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, and you hit on one of the big points there, which is balancing the, you know, consideration of all these various uh, effects with the fact that we do live in a society which, um, you know, technology has become an increasingly big part of. It's harder and harder to get through your life without any use of technology. So like things like, um, you know, the security versus convenience paradigm, a lot of it has become a matter of acceptable you know, acceptable, not acceptable losses, but sort of what are you willing to accept or what are you willing to overlook or not overlook in order to actually use these devices? So for me personally, I definitely spend more time thinking about it now than I used to. Uh, That's 
that's for sure. And I think, as Matthew pointed out, that's because so much of it, there's so much more that is easy to find out about now because people are digging into this much more than they used to. Uh, there used to be a lot of acceptance and just be like, yeah, that's just, you know, great. There's a new technology product. I'm just going to use it. And people didn't really think about it. Now I think everybody is taking a very hard look at it. Uh, the question is just kind of how deep you look. So, yeah, where is your acceptable line, I think, is always the question here. Lisa, what about you? I've always had vaguely hippie leanings. <laughs> and um, as a matter of fact, I was the first person to write about how to recycle your hardware for Macworld. The thing that's taken up an increasing amount of headspace, over, especially over the past few years, has been the, tra the trade-off when it comes to privacy and or possible civil rights and civil liberties ramifications. And I started thinking about this a whole lot more once the website I run started covering GDPR. And I took a look at the data protections other people in other countries have when it comes to how their data can be used, what their rights to their data are, what their rights to privacy are. And we in the US don't have them. And I keep finding myself asking why. <laughs> it's something I'm getting increasingly uneasy about uh, as concomitantly, as Dan pointed out, it's much harder to live in a world where you're not where, where just to participate in like, community activities, people organize them on Facebook, which has huge problems with selling data, or people organize them via Google Sheets, and it's not like Google does no evil anymore. Or, you know, you do over to somebody's house, and they have a Nest doorbell, so your image is already uploaded into the cloud, or they've got all sorts of smart speakers and smart devices around their home. So somebody's eavesdropping on you anyway. On the one hand, I feel like it's taking up an awful lot of mental energy. And on the other hand, I don't like the type of energy it's taking up because I have no good solutions. I remember uh, speaking to Georgia Dow one time on a podcast that we used to do together. And I, in the course of that conversation, went from a place where I thought, oh, I don't care. I don't care about this. Like, it's fine. The the thing that we hear people say a lot, I'm not doing anything. I have nothing to hide. Uh, used to be my mindset about it. And after that conversation that night, my whole sort of world was changed uh and and my my opinion and and views on that changed and in talking with ruha um it even sort of opened my eyes to more uh that needed to be considered so yeah i appreciate all of your answers on that and i appreciate that we are continuing to try to uh be better at paying attention to the ways that technology can be harmful, I think, to people. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to our next topic, which comes from Matthew. Yes. So a couple stories in the news the last few weeks about Siri, and it's not shortcuts this time, I swear, but Siri, Siri and Spotify are now working together where you can ask your phone to play something on Spotify and it will work, which never had before, which is awesome. And then also they're starting to sort of assign a default app to a Siri thing but in sort of a circuitous way where like if I always send Micah a message on Telegram and then I ask Siri to send him a message, it will automatically default to Telegram. And so basically this seems like Siri is actually opening up. And while like do-it-yourself shortcuts are good for a certain set of people, I also hear a lot of feedback that people are like, I don't want to build shortcuts. I just want to use this stuff. And so I'm curious now is... Do you think this is the year that Siri proper gets good? I think that's something people have wanted for a long time, and Apple has been really careful about rolling it out because I think they want it to work well. Uh, and so I'm glad that we've hit that point yet. But I think clearly what many third-party developers want is still sort of you know a much more 
unfettered access to Siri in terms of being able to interact with things. And, and Siri shortcuts have certainly take that, taken that a long way, but there are still heavy limitations. Obviously, you can only do things that are kind of scripted, specific actions. That's still kind of difficult right now. And I, I think, you know, Apple is working on getting to the point where third-party developers can have that access. I think they'd much prefer to, right? Because many more people will use Siri if it's in fact viable for all these different powers. So I'm hopeful that this is these sort of things are indications that maybe when WWC 2020 rolls around, Apple's got a much more comprehensive plan for how third-party developers can work with Siri. I think Dan makes an excellent point. Uh, because he talks about how people would want to use any voice-driven assistant, which is to say, hey, Siri, open Google Sheets, find the file on scheduling, and tell me what's in the column for Monday. And in th- it would be nice if they could do that. Consumers aren't going to prioritize things like, oh, I better make sure I stay within the Apple ecosystem and maintain a certain level of stickiness because that improves engagement and profit line. I don't want an assistant to show me all the great things that Apple can do on its platform with its stuff. I want an assistant who can basically let me do my workflows with all of my stuff across all of these different tools that I use in my life. Mm-hmm. Can I just go ahead and say like retweet on everything Lisa said? <laughs> um, because that's how I'm feeling. Or retoot, requack, rehonk, whatever. And just to, to, to be able to speak to it without having to do a whole lot of pre-thinking would be really nice and I think would make Siri truly better. Uh, Matthew, any last thoughts on that? I think in general, I totally agree with a lot of what you were saying too. What I was getting excited about was both uh, your examples were very, I'd say we're like two, one to two steps away from actually having the technology basis for being able to do something like that. But I do think that the features on top aren't intelligent enough to, it is like, it needs to bring the shortcuts to you, not the other way around. And I'm perfectly happy building all that stuff, but it's also like my bread and butter. So that makes sense. And I don't expect people to be like, oh, I would need to pre-program everything I do. I am curious, like what it gets past this stage, because I do think that's a little bit like, we're still waiting for the groundwork to be completely leveled, but once we're going from there, like I am excited because at least compared to a few years ago, we're way further along than we were before. Let me go ahead and move on to halftime. This episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and node location. Now, Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers and would love to add you. Plus, they're looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, you just drop them an email, give them a call, or chat over IRC in the Linode community if that's easier. Whatever suits you best. And guess what? They have some super useful guides and support documentation, so if you just need to quickly look something up, you can. Their new management panel is now in beta at cloud.linode.com, and this console is a single-page application built using the cutting-edge React.js stack and is backed entirely by Linode's public API. 
Plus, it's open source, and they've got two-factor authentication to keep you and all your data safe and secure. Now, Linode has pricing options to suit everyone out there. Their plans start at one gig of RAM for just five bucks a month, and they've also got high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. Linode has a special offer just for you as you're listening as a listener of this very show. You head to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code clockwise 2019, and that's going to get you $20 towards any Linode plan. If I do some napkin math there, that's uh, for that gig of RAM plan, that's four free months. You're going to want to check this out. And plus, they've got a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's really nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise and promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Dan, we are back from halftime, and it is time for you to kick things off. All right, Google held its annual Pixel event, and it threw the covers off the Pixel 4, the highlight of which is a motion-based gesture system that is built on top of good old-fashioned radar. Uh, So my question for you is, does this seem useful at all, or is this really just a gimmick? Lisa? Oh my gosh, it's completely useful. So, so here's what you have to know about the radar chip. It's from a German company called Infineon. And among its capabilities, it can track minute motions of the human hand or body in real time. It has the ability to see through non-metallic objects, and it can measure distances and speed. Now, imagine being able to measure a room before you go furniture shopping, or imagine being able to measure a sofa while you're furniture shopping. Um, imagine that you're an insurance adjuster, and this is a great way for you to calculate an area of damage. Um, imagine being somebody who is in conversation with somebody else, and you want to be able to detect head nods or head shakes and record them for uh, interpretation later. One of the things I think is kind of exciting about this uh motion capture and motion sensing and space capture and space sensing technology is this means that the this particular smartphone moves out of a consumer space and it can be used in um, a category that Microsoft's calling first line workers. Well, everyone calls first line workers at this point. It can be used to do to do work. So it's an incredibly canny business move, if you ask me. And it's an incredibly exciting technology because you're going to have a phone that effectively doubles as a 3D, as a 3D data input device and possibly also as a nonverbal communication device. You know, and, and both of those things, I think, have tremendous potential to, to, to be good for people. I like what you are saying, but for me, it still just feels very gimmicky. Um, the, the way that, that they talked about it on the, uh, you know, on the live stream and the way that, uh, some of the Twitch shows had covered it afterward, where, you know, you, you reach out when the alarm is going off and put your hand and it can see your hand. And so then it starts to quiet the alarm. I think that's a cool idea, but I don't know. It just, I have yet to see the truly powerful ways that this technology can be used. And so for me, it feels right now like, um, it feels right now like AR feels to me where I could see it going somewhere, but currently in the form that it is being shown and the way that it's being marketed, I don't have many feels for it. Don't have very many positive feels for it. So I think that I'm looking forward to 
seeing some actual cool stuff that it can do. But for now, the things that Google's sort of pitching it as, it still feels a little silly. Uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts? I think I'm, I, I had a little transformation moment when I was watching the video about this because I was like, oh, who wants to wave their hand in front of their phone to, to do that? Like, I do think on a consumer level, it might be not as like cr- strong as a selling point for people. Be- on- but only because it's a new behavior. And so when I was watching that video, I was I went from like, oh, this is kind of dumb to like, wow, because they, you should really watch that clip because the guy shows how you can like control volume by just sliding up your finger or I don't know. It's even hard to it's like when you see it, that's when you kind of get it because it's I think I was sitting there on my iPad and I use iPad all day long and I have experienced some RSI issues before. And I was like, if I could just pick up stuff rotate it and like do like full-on minority report style stuff but just right in front of it i was like that actually is really cool like i think it sounds it's i mean we were even saying on our show uh that new technology always sounds like a toy at the beginning but then once it starts to really get integrated it's like how could we ever live without this and this is super cool especially because the way they talked about it it's like it's a local chip and it doesn't require it's just like a very miniaturized version of the tech. And so I, I it was it was pretty mind blowing. And at the beginning I was like, oh, this is dumb. So I suggest people actually do watch that video because it is very impressive. Oh, uh, you guys I mean, I think you guys brought a brought a interesting you've made me think about this a lot more than I did up front, because my I think my initial inclination was probably closer to what Matthew was saying about feeling like, uh yeah, this doesn't seem like something that people are gonna use that much. I think what it does now is very limited, but I think Lisa's totally right that there's a lot of potential for this technology in the future. Um, and especially because of the fact that radar is such a well-tested um, technology. You know, it's been around for a long time. It's been used for a lot of different applications. So people kind of know what they can do with it. Uh, miniaturizing it and putting it inside a phone does open up a lot of possibilities on it. I'm not convinced that what Google is doing with it right now is necessarily the best example of how that works, although there are things that I think are well applied in there. Um, but overall, I think, you know, there's a lot of question now about sort of what, of this, what is the next um, interface paradigm uh, and I think Google is making a hard play on this whole motion uh, gesture thing and being a big part of that. But it will really depend on how much support is built into these devices uh, and whether people actually end up using it. Because, you know, in a similar way, 3D Touch, for example, was a good example, uh, a technology that had a lot of potential in it, but ultimately didn't really seem to go anywhere. So uh, I think the jury is still out on it, but there is some some interesting potential for it. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our final topic today, which comes from Lisa. So one of the stories I've been following this year with great interest is watching U.S. lawmakers and the business press grapple with the realization that Facebook book is essentially Mark Zuckerberg's show. And <laughs> well, crap, what do we do now? And um, so I, I kind of want to take us into a flight of fancy, which is this. If you... Like, let's just say you, you rub, you rub the, you rub the lamp and you made the wish and your wish was, I want to run, I want to be in charge of Facebook. And if you were running Facebook and you answered to nobody and like the board can take you because you had the voting shares and you were the CEO and you were essentially in the Zuckerberg post, 
what is the first change you would make to Facebook? And why would you make that change? Yeah, this is such a great question. Um, although it assumes that my first wish would not be for more wishes, which is just incorrect. <laughs> um, but <laughs> casting, <laughs> casting that aside, um, I'm in charge of Facebook and I answer to nobody. Um, the first change I make is going to be, um, a no, no, what is the word I'm looking for when you concession, a no concessions, uh, policy for hate speech, uh, where right now there's all of this like hand rub, hand wringing, uh, pearl clutching, <laughs> hemming and, and hawing and, and all sorts of, uh, other weird idioms going on that keep Facebook from saying, no, we're not going to have hate groups. No, we're not going to have this. No, we're not going to have that. The first change that I make is simply to say, you know what? I don't care that, that we've got some user base that is this, that, or the other. I am putting my foot down and we are not going to have any form of, of hate speech allowed on this platform. And if I was running Twitter, I'd do the same doggone thing. Uh, thank you. Uh, this has been paid for Micah mm -hmm. for president. Uh, Matthew <laughs> Casanelli, <laughs> if you're running Facebook, what are you going to change? This is a, this is a tough question because I mean, first of all, Facebook already answers to nobody. So that's not much changing there, but, um, I do think, I mean, my thought was just like ripping out the advertising business model. And obviously that's like what Facebook is. So I don't know what to replace it with. But I do think the it's like the incentives that they have have led them to this point. And I was I don't I think I was thinking the other day of like I miss actually using like what face like good Facebook was before where you connect with people and use it as a social network and not like a news feed system. It's also hard because I've almost like entirely cut it out from my life because I don't like the feeling that I get when I use it. And it does seem to be like the same 20 people posting now. Um yeah, I'd say like decoupling the advertising business model and probably in the process of that, that's probably the only reason they have Instagram. So breaking that up and not spoiling all the good tech with other companies buying it. So yeah, I think I think Matthew took both of the answers that I had in my head uh, other than the third answer, which was um, sabotage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, just burn it all down. Is that an yeah. option? Um, yes, you you run it. You answer to nobody. You can be like, all right, we're shutting down in thirty days. <laughs> that there is a strong temptation for that to be the answer. Um, I I think that the other thing that I would really focus on is because Facebook has become a place where so many people seem to get their news. I think I would want to make sure that all the news there is essentially factual. That sounds crazy. I realize, uh, but I, I <laughs> how think, could you? Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of an ancillary to the whole getting rid of the, the advertising business thing, I think would be trying to more closely vet the kind of information, uh, that is shared and that is disseminated, um, uh, because I think it's used as a huge platform for disinformation and stuff that is basically just there to get people riled up. Dan, you actually got close to the answer I had in mind, which I would actually ban news. I'd ban news and I'd ban, I would ban any external link that was not explicitly focused on community building activities. Like if you want to link to say notice of an upcoming city council event, fine. If you want to link to your library's book drive, 
fine. If you want to link to a Mother Jones story on voting rights violations, not fine. If you want to link to a Newsmax story on Hillary Clinton's pantsuit uh, smuggling empire, not fine. It would be a social network again with an extremely limited set of functions. You can upload photos. You can glurge long paragraphs of text if you feel like inflicting that on. But mostly it's a place to chat and exchange information and not make it a news stream and not incentivize people to just throw up links with like a self-righteous sentence or two or throw up links and um, like process their feelings about them, but get back to using it the same way you would interact with people when you're in line at Starbucks. Like nobody says in Starbucks, did you hear about, you know, unless they want to be thought of it as a crazy person. And by sharply restricting the kind of activities you can do on Facebook, you would change the fundamental nature of the interactions. And you'd probably also end up, um, reducing the flow of misinformation simply because you'd have far fewer opportunities to do so. I just checked the clock and it is almost time for the end of the show. But first, a little note from our friends at Smile. Now, Text Expander lets you insert words, phrases, forms, templates, and more with just a couple key clicks everywhere you type. You can take control of your time and productivity by letting Text Expander handle your repetitive typing tasks so you can get back to the important stuff. Text Expander is available for macOS, for Windows, for iPhone, for iPad, and now for Chrome. And it makes editing, uh, makes editing snippets easier with Text Expander's new visual snippet editor. Companies use Text Expander for teams, for customer support, reports, and email, and well, anywhere else they need consistent and accurate text. If you already love Text Expander and like to tell people about it like I do, well, you can join Text Expander's affiliate program to earn a little something when people sign up. Now, if you're always looking for ways to be a little bit more productive, you're going to need Text Expander. It makes typing those repetitive phrases and paragraphs unbelievably fast. An entire paragraph that would take ages to type can expand in a second. I love Text Expander. I use it all the time, everywhere. And I have talked before about when I worked at, uh, at iMore, how we have a lot of different processes that start with a, a sort of writing template, uh, because of the formatting that we have on or had on the website. And so I made snippets for templates for all sorts of things. And then I would share them with my fellow colleagues. And it was like being the person that has the the pack of gum handing out little sticks of gum to people, but instead you're handing out snippets. And it's super great. I just reinstalled the text expander keyboard on my iPhone. Uh, and I had forgotten how great it is to have my snippets on my phone as well. So wonderful. Uh, you can check out text expander, you're going to want to you head to textexpander.com slash podcast. And listeners of Clockwise, you're going to get 20% off your first year. You head to textexpander.com slash podcast now and get 20% off. Thanks so much to Text Expander from Smile for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, folks, here's my bonus topic for you. What was the last thing you bought that made you happy or made you smile or made your day just a little bit better? Matthew Casanelli, we'll start with you. Untitled Goose Game is an absolute delight. Um, you are a jerk goose who goes around and steals stuff from local villagers, and you trap people in their garage and stuff like that and make a kid buy his own pair of glasses back. Like, hearing people laugh at that game is definitely makes it worth it. It's a really good game. I'll second it. Um, but I bought, um, I just bought some new tea. Uh, I was out of tea, and I bought a whole bunch of bags from the New Mexico Tea Co., which is a company I really like. 
And uh, yeah, always nice to have good, fresh, new types of tea. So I did my Halloween decorating this past weekend, and um, we decided that the theme for this year was spooky, sparkly. And then we dressed up our skeleton as Audrey Deadburn. And in breakfast at Deadfinies, I'll be happy to retweet a picture of it later. There was a picture tweeted this past uh, yes. weekend. I'll, I'll, I'll retweet breakfast at Deadfinies with Audrey Deadburn. Um, we had the tiara, we had strings of fake pearls, and we had the little black dress, but we needed long black satin gloves. And so I went to my local party city, which is kind of a dystopian hellscape of a place. But I knew <laughs> that they would have fake satin gloves, and they totally did. And I spent $14 on a pair of satin, black satin opera length gloves for Audrey Deadburn. And those gloves make the costume. I'm so happy every time I look at her. It's great. Oh, yay. I'm so excited. (laughs) I wanted some chocolate the other day. uh, And I went into Whole Foods and they had this organic uh, chocolate on sale, like a really good sale. And it was one of those that has like, you know, nine different weird flavors and so i got some um dark i love love dark chocolate dark 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 Mm, chocolate and so i got some uh dark sea salt chocolate and then some very dark it's uh 90 cocoa or cacao um mint (gasps) and so oh that sounds amazing oh it's like this bright mint flavor with this very deep dark chocolate oh so good so wonderful and every time i have a piece of it it makes me happy uh dan we have reached the end of the episode all that's left is to thank our incredible guests matthew Casanelli. thanks so much for being here i know that you had a lot to do today so we do appreciate you joining us no problem thank you for having me it's always a pleasure and lisa schmeiser thank you so much for being here thank you for asking me i had a great time And Micah, we have reached the end of another show. So all that remains for us to remind everybody listening out there is that until next time, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.